This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Congratulations. You reached level June in Doom's Year 2020. Who knew something like this would happen? I mean, in less than five months, the coronavirus swept across the globe, claimed more than 100,000 lives in the U.S., and then tossed a wrench into everything. There's a lot of stories in the media about how individuals, businesses, and industries are dealing with the effects of COVID-19. And in this episode, I want to tell the story from a native food perspective. So I got a hold of a couple of native folks in the food industry and asked them how they're doing. In this episode, you'll hear from seven indigenous people, a caterer, a restaurant owner, a cattle rancher, a chef, a farmer, a food writer who is also a COVID-19 survivor, and a spokesperson from a tribal casino. Each of them has been affected by the virus in unique ways, from becoming unemployed for the first time and restructuring their business, to redirecting their resources to help feed those in need in their native communities. So... Here we go, seven voices from the native food industry. Let's get started in Oklahoma with Nico. Osio Dagwado a Nico Albert Chitalagi. My name is Nico Albert, and I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and I'm the executive chef of Duet Restaurant and Jazz Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So on March 17th, the owners of Duet made the decision to close the restaurant completely. Um, we're not doing curbside delivery or takeout of any kind. So since March 17th, I've just been completely 100% unemployed. And I've been receiving unemployment checks since we shut down. So that's kind of how I've been surviving and supporting my family. And I'm so, so grateful for that because if I had to be stressing my bills right now, I just don't know what I would do. My career as an executive chef has always kept me extremely busy. So my schedule is always packed with events, working on menu development and marketing and constantly training and managing conflicts with my staff, working dinner service, keeping track of the inventory, food, labor costs, and then somewhere in there finding time for my own side projects and my family, of course. So it's just a crazy pace all the time. And then, you know, on March 17th, everything just came to a halt and my life changed completely, literally overnight. All of the big events that I had booked over the spring and summer were canceled and I just became a full-time stay-at-home mom to my 10-year-old stepdaughter, doing homeschooling and just managing household stuff and being home 100% of the time. It felt like I'd been thrown from a galloping horse. I was just so disoriented, like I had always had this destination that I'd been charging for at full speed, and then in a blink, the map just went blank, 
And I've never been without a job for this length of time since I got my first job at 16 years old. So it kind of was like an identity crisis. Like, who am I if I'm not hustling, holding down a restaurant, just being a boss? It took a while for me to get used to being at home and not being pulled in a dozen different directions all the time. So like that anxiety is still there. It's just rattling around in my head, the feeling like I should be doing more, being productive, being efficient, accomplishing tasks, moving, making, and doing. But I've been learning to slow down and to just be still. And I think I'm going to come out on the other side of this a more balanced chef and wife and mother. I don't know when Duet is going to reopen. I'm still waiting to hear what the owners have planned and if and when I'll be called back to active duty. But in the meantime, I've been making plans and devoting more time and energy pursuing my passion for studying cooking and sharing knowledge about traditional indigenous foods. And as we move forward into this new normal, whatever that's going to look like, I plan to direct the focus of my career as a chef even more toward food sovereignty movement and finding new and different ways to bring native food and culture out to the public. And my heart just breaks for families who've lost loved ones and haven't been able to put them to rest according to our traditions because of the danger of spreading this horrible virus. And we're all missing our powwows this summer, missing ceremonies, and that's had a huge impact on us. As Native people, isolation goes against our, our very nature. It's so hard to believe that in this situation, the best thing that we can do for ourselves and our community and our family is to stay away from each other, like it feels wrong, even though we know it's the right thing to do. But I feel like this time is also a blessing in a lot of ways. I see all these people getting outside and connecting with nature. They're planting gardens and we're cooking at home and spending time with our families and reaching out and connecting to each other in meaningful ways to check in on each other and check in on our elders. We've been giving gifts to comfort and support each other. And I feel like as we're being forced to slow down and reevaluate what's really important to us, we find you know the health and the safety of our families are more of a priority. We're healing ourselves, not just from the illness that's completely derailed our lives and our society, but we're also healing from the lifestyle that a lot of us have been lost in. That rush has caused us to slow down and find our way back to what's important. Now to California with Crystal. She is featured in episode nine of this podcast. Hello, my name is Crystal Wapipa. I'm the owner and chef of Wapipa's Kitchen located in Oakland, California. <clears throat> Pretty much the pandemic um, has affected us, um, all of us here in the um, Bay Area, especially business owners. Our business is pretty much came to a complete stop or either some businesses are just not going to reopen and as for us as Wapipas Kitchen um, we pretty much um, at the end of February um, our catering pretty much all got cancelled and we had to either rearrange them to May which pretty much we're still on lockdown so we ended up moving them to September and to November to see where that goes from there and it just pretty much had um 
had me like in little panic mode. I think that's pretty much natural, and that's when um, I've just been pretty um, following, you know, doing a lot of grants and um, seeing seeking for help just to hold down the business here in Oakland. Um, it's pretty much expensive here, so I hadn't like um, really put all my time into focus on that of holding down my kitchen. And at the same time, you know, um, holding down, see about my employees. Um, it's all just pretty much a learning experience when you have a really good, successful business running and then all of a sudden you come to a complete stop, what to do next. And that is pretty much um, what's been taking place right now. Um, we've been really fortunate to receive a grant and we continue to have our kitchen. And so I've just been pretty much working um, doing food demos out of the kitchen, um, pretty much um, just kind of um, helping our community out and see what they need and see where I can lend my hands and um, see where I can lend, like, my knowledge at when it comes to that. So I've been volunteering once a week and in our community to offer to make things for our elders and our community members because they can't go to the stores or anything like that. And so I just pretty much been um, seeing how in many ways how I can be used in that. And as for our future for Wapipaw's Kitchen, um, we do look forward to the future of um, literally going in there full time and cooking pretty much it's going to be different. Of course, we have a lot of masks and a lot of more health and safety, what's going on. Um, my goal is to be in there in the kitchen here in a few months, even if that's going to be do, doing deliveries, um, doing pickups, um, um, prepackaging meals, um, things like that, uh, just to keep afloat um, on that part. And then you know, I think the happiest times is pretty much um, cooking with our community and actually cook, doing our first catering job, which is going to be pretty much phenomenal. Looking forward to that. Um, on the other part, um, we have been really um, supported by a lot of organizations, been supported by a lot of community people, especially here in the city of Oakland, of them reaching out and see where they can help and what we can do. So far, I've just been educating myself a lot. Um, what is next for Wapipaw's Kitchen? And that's pretty much um, where we're at right now. Um, it's a day by day where we're going to go, what are we going to do, and pretty much I'm just ready for us to not be on lockdown and we can open up our business, but it's going to be in a totally different way, I know, for the first year. And so um, at the same time, just want everybody to be healthy and happy and um what's going on in this pandemic is such a big, huge eye-opener, just not as a business owner, but also as um, a daughter, a mother, um, a sister, and a friend. You know, I just want everybody to be healthy. Now over to Spring in Oregon. Hi, my name is Spring Alaska. I'm an indigenous agriculturalist and the owner of Sakari Farms. We're located in Bend, Oregon going to talk today about how uh, COVID has affected our work and business structure a little bit. Um, since the beginning of the COVID virus, we've had quite a few surprising challenges to our farm and our business structure. 
our Sakari Botanicals tribal food business actually became quite a bit busier with an influx of um, high demand for our elderberry, some of our bulk medicinal plants such as mullein, yarrow, mugwort, pine needles, and other berries such as rose hips. Um, all things related to or that can assist with respiratory ailments, among other powerful properties. Um, there was an awakening, so to speak, in regards to using native medicinals again for their traditional uses. That made me very happy. Um, every time we send a package out of our elderberry tea, people are able to see the flowers and the medicine through the clear packaging. So this encourages them to make a visual or historical connection to what those foods used to look like and how they can also identify with them in their surroundings and become a little bit more self-sufficient. So we did see quite a peak there of um, the elderberry use. There was a little bit of controversy about whether it was good enough or you're able to use it because of COVID and how it, they kind of work together or not. So we were having a hard time trying to identify with folks on that. A little bit of education helped us though. Um, we have spent most of our time restructuring the business model to fulfill the elder boxes that are being requested from regional and national tribes. We had an influx of basically um, the Oneida folks, um, Sweetgrass Trading Company, some of the Squamish tribes up in Northwest, Pacific Northwest, the American Indian Housing Authority and community in Duluth. Um, they all kind of stopped making the orders for their stores because their stores weren't open anymore and um, kind of restructured everything and were requesting these elder boxes, which are really cool. So they've got um, different medicinal plants in them, teas, hot sauces, some of our value-added products, um, and different uh, healing products too, like our grandmother's salve and some of our sweetgrass oils. So it gives um, every those elders kind of a chance to enjoy different products throughout this time too. Um, let's see, how does that make us feel? Um, it feels great to load up on bulk orders and provide that important medicine to those in need right now. We need to remember in these hard times that tribal members carry this ancestral ability to go above and beyond to help others in need. So we are resilient and will continue to lead by example to reach out to those during this confusing time. Um, some of the things that we've changed for our business structure since COVID um, is that we immediately started doing some replanning for crop production. When COVID was announced, we were in the middle of crop planning and planting seedlings for the uh, 2020 season. And we got um, a really cool call from NOAA at Native, Native Seed Search <clears throat> requesting that there is a high demand for Native farmers to assist with tribal seed grouts due to the recent seed shortage. There had been a tremendous amount of seed that had been redistributed um, on our end since early May. And we have experienced quite a bit of um, seed shortage ourselves using um, a lot of the seed for the farm, for donations um, regionally here throughout the Tri-County area. So we chose to create some new areas on the farm that would have been allocated for profit um, to grow out blue corn, peas as a friend and other native medicinals and tribal foods for NOAA with native seed search. Um, we're super honored to have the capacity to stop what we're doing and assist others with increasing this important tribal ancestral seed. We'll also be providing um, the Warm Springs Confederate tribe with free tribal food boxes once the weather lightens up a little bit and we're able to enter the full growing season. So that's something that we're definitely looking forward to. Um, our future plans are just to enjoy the, the ride of change, um, to be present and available for our elders and youth that are in need right now of a helping hand until this virus can subside. 
Let's go up to Vancouver with Inez. You heard from her in episode 62. Hi, my name is Inez Cook. I'm the co-founder and owner of Salmon and Bannock Bistro, located in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I'm from the New Hulk Nation, and we just celebrated our 10th anniversary at the restaurant in February, and that was just uh, a short month prior to COVID hitting. And uh, at the beginning of COVID, I uh, honestly thought that I was going to have to close my doors. And uh, I had some pretty dark days. I was I was really, really, really stressed out and depressed and worried. And I had to lay off 80% of my staff. And uh, so at the beginning of COVID, I laid off my staff and... Well, 80% of my staff. And I signed up for Uber Eats. And normally we're a dining room. We're open dinner only. But uh, I opened Uber Eats for uh, uh, daytime delivery options. And uh, as luck would have it, my POS system died uh, right at the beginning of COVID. So Uber Eats was my only option. And um, as everyone knows, they take 30% right off the top. So it's not financially um, favorable using these these companies. However, I had no other options. And um, thankfully, I got a little bit of grant money and government loan. And uh, I decided to to change my viewpoint. And I decided that um, while we were going to have the dining room closed, we were going to take this time and work on improvements, much-needed improvements. And uh, we just built an outside bar table seating area, and we got a new door, and we got new cabinets. We're doing lots and lots of improvements. And now I'm really excited to open with a bang once we're able to. Um, Restaurants are allowed to start opening this week, slowly. Uh, We're going to hold off for a bit. Um, We're just a tiny bistro and we can't really uh, sustain a business bringing everybody back with half capacity uh, that's allowed inside. So we're going to wait and see how things play out a little bit. Um, I look forward to uh, seeing what the new normal is. I look forward to opening with a bang. I look forward to um, bringing people together with food again. Um, And uh, I really hope they find a vaccine soon. And uh, we can try to get our world back in order as much as possible. Because this has just devastated everybody. And... um, yeah, so I just I just hope that uh, life as we know it, or or the new normal that we can be expected to see. So until then, we will be still serving takeout. Good news is we have our new POS system, so we're offering takeout as well as Uber Eats seven days a week, one till seven, and we hope you can make it in and stay safe, everyone, and be kind to each other. Thank you. Speaking of international, let's hear from Zach in Berlin. 
Hello, this is Zachary Johnson. I'm the deputy editor for Uproxx Life, where I write about travel, food, drink, with a focus on indigenous food and chefs. Uh, I'm originally from the Olympic Peninsula. My father came from the Skokomish Indian Reservation, and we are part Skokomish, Yakima, and Hawaiian. Uh, I first started hearing about COVID-19 fairly early in December because I'm a travel writer, and that story was already breaking and becoming part of... Uh, Sort of our consciousness consciousness then uh i actually got sick in mid-march at first it was sort of just very severe flu-like symptoms and um at the time since i live in berlin one of the ways they were containing the virus was not allowing people to go out of their apartments if they were having any symptoms whatsoever and instead were using telemedicine wherein doctors would call you every day check in on your symptoms and make decisions based on that. They also were not testing people back then unless you needed emergency care and had to go to the hospital. I never did, so I never got tested. However, my doctor did communicate me with me every day, and after the second week of the illness, wherein I lost my sense of taste and sense of smell and lost my voice and was having you know, pretty severe, albeit not emergency care, reactions of you know severe fatigue, uh, muscle and body aches, um, diarrhea, uh, a massive, massive non-ending cough, losing my voice because of that cough. During the second week of that illness, my doctor was calling me twice, sometimes three times a day to check up on me. Um, and one night my breathing became so labored that my wife nearly called uh, the emergency services, but I was able to get it under control with a asthma inhaler. And since I have grown up with allergy onset asthma since I was about 14. Uh, my doctor trusted me to know if I needed to go to the emergency room or not based on my breathing. However, I did lose my sense of taste and smell the second week, and it took about five to ten days for those to come back. Uh, the taste of sense of taste came back first, sense of smell came back a little bit later. Um, while I was sick the first week especially, I was so tired, so fatigued, I'd wake up, I'd only be up for a couple hours and go back to sleep. Um, so I'd basically be having lunch every day with some herbal tea, I'd be drinking sage tea, um, mint tea, green tea with lots of ginger, lots of honey, sometimes uh, maple syrup, uh, sometimes wild berries with honey, and or wild berries with maple syrup, uh, things like that, and of course lots and lots of water cut with lemon or lime most times just water bottle water next to the bed I could sip on when I'd wake up for a few minutes uh, mostly I was eating ramen uh, with a very spicy chicken broth that I was able to make about once a day other than that I was sleeping too much to have any other meals uh, ramen is you know very go-to for me as in I can make it quickly with uh, chicken broth or some sort of bone broth I have on hand in the freezer cut up some ginger, cut up some garlic, get a few dollops of a chili sauce, throw it in there, you know, cook some noodles, throw it in, throw in a protein that I have on hand. Sometimes it's just an egg. Sometimes it might be leftover uh, venison or leftover chicken. It just depends. And that would be basically my one meal of the day. Uh, and then especially the second week when I was uh, just losing my voice and sense of taste and smell, I really started amping up the chili and the garlic and the ginger just to try and get something, but it was rarely there. Um, also during that week, my doctor was very worried, and so she put me on erythromycin, which some doctors have used here 
to uh, stave off me possibly getting pneumonia because after you know ten seven ten days of being very ill my lungs being shot my throat being shot my voice being shot my immune system being shot she was worried that it would develop into pneumonia then i would have to be hospitalized which again did not want to happen uh, unfortunately i never did get tested because i got better i went through another two-week quarantine after that two-week ordeal ordeal just to keep myself safe my doctor didn't want me going out and picking up a different virus or spreading the one I had, so I ended up being locked in home for a month. Uh, and during that two weeks afterward, I started getting back into eating a more uh, normative diet for me, which is very uh, protein, wild protein based with greens, vegetables, some grains. So I eat a lot of uh, wild rice. Um, I tried eating venison again, but because my sense of taste was so off, it was too metallic the first couple times I ate it, so I sort of erred more towards uh, wild cod, which is very neutral and uh, very clean, very easy to uh, cook as well with, uh, you know, trying to, you know, get some spinach greens, uh, some wild rice, and a, a nice piece of, uh, you know, cod sautéed off in, in butter or just olive oil or sous vide with butter and garlic or something like that. Um, other than that, now that it's been almost two months, my sense of taste has, you know, normal, normalized again, as in I can eat cilantro again. I've been able to reincorporate venison into my diet without it tasting too metallic, so I make a very simple, like, venison, sort of Tejano chili, where I, you know, sear off some venison shoulder and then uh, braise that off in a chili paste that I make with dried chilies and, and bone broth. And then, you know, you have a nice chili, and it's, it's a great sort of cornerstone meal at my house. And, like, for instance, last night I had a bison ribeye that I uh, sous vide and then seared off in some goat butter, and then I, I cooked some asparagus in that goat butter with a little bit of lemon, and it was, you know, a sort of classic meal that I would make. It's, it's kind of back to normal for my eating, and my sense of taste and smell are back. And luckily I'm getting the antibody tests to find out for sure what did happen to me in March. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine losing my sense of smell and taste like that. It must have been really scary, especially as a food writer to experience that. Uh, and I'm glad Zach's okay. You can check out his writing at uprocks.com. Check out his beer podcast too, called One More Road for the Beer. Now back to the States. Let's hear from Kelsey in South Dakota. Good day. My Lakota name is Soft Little Breeze Woman, and my English name is Kelsey Ducheneau. I am an enrolled member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in North Central South Dakota, and I'm the owner of DX Beef. I'm incredibly delighted today to share with you a little bit about how the coronavirus pandemic has affected me and my work with DX Beef. Honestly, this has been one of the busiest seasons for me as a direct-to-consumer beef salesman and business owner. Um, it's been a little bit refreshing for me to connect with so many local consumers that are interested in knowing where their beef is coming from and knowing that their beef is safe. And it's been incredibly humbling to see the outpouring of individuals locally that want to source their beef locally. It makes me as a cattle rancher feel amazing knowing that the animals that I've put so much labor and care and concern into raising are feeding local families. And these local families have access to healthy, wholesome, protein sources on their dinner plates. 
My business has been shifted a little bit uh, since COVID-19 has impacted the world, mainly because of the extra steps that I've taken to try to keep myself, uh, my business, and our you know, employees and volunteer family help uh, and our consumers safe. Um, we really emphasize the need for social distancing. Um, we take extra precautions in doing the beef deliveries so that everybody's wearing a mask. Um, I actually don't in, come into direct contact with individuals. Most of the time I, I meet them in a central location near a town and um, I set their order on the back of my tailgate in a freezer bag and then they pick it up off of my pickup tailgate so that we don't have to have the direct one-on-one contact. Um, I've made an arrangement with my local bank for my customers to drop off payment and deposit it into my bank account so that we don't have to do any cash transactions back and forth either. I would say that largely the greatest negative impact that the pandemic has had on my business is lack of available slots at the local butchers in which I can utilize to process my meat. Um, I I don't think of this as a bad thing, though. I I knew that if this sort of stress on our food system were to take place, it would be incredibly hard to get butcher slots because there's such a lack of infrastructure and there's so few small town butcher shops here in South Dakota and quite honestly across the United States. And for me, while it makes scheduling um, a little trickier for me as a business owner that's been in the direct sales business for a while, I'm happy that it's a problem. I'm happy to know that more farmers and ranchers are getting their beef slaughtered and they're directly selling it and marketing it to local consumers. Um, I'm not in this business because I want to monopolize it or because I want to push anybody else out. I don't ever say that, you know, my beef is better than the next ranchers down the road. I don't believe in that sort of business marketing. Uh, what I believe in is transparency with the consumer. And the reality is if you know your farmer or rancher, if you know the cattle owner and you trust in their management ability, then their beef is going to be among the highest quality that you could probably ever dream about getting at your local grocery store. And you're cutting out so many points of contamination, especially when you consider the COVID-19 pandemic. If you're buying directly from the consumer, directly from the producer as the consumer, excuse me, then you're going to absolutely know that the only person that has handled your beef in between you two is the butcher um, and maybe an employee or two at the small town butchers. There's actually a lot of research that is starting to show that sourcing your meat locally helps overall with supporting your immune system, uh, especially when the cattle have been exposed to healthy soil. So healthy soil is an indication of the soil microbiome being incredibly healthy. There's all sorts of good little tiny bugs and bacteria that we can't see living in the soil that make the plants nutrient dense, that make the meat of the animals eating those plants, a healthier, more wholesome beef source. And so when you are able to source your meat locally, you're feeding your own gut biome with all of the nutrients that it has learned to really be exposed to and to be able to process. And, you know, not just on the personal health side, but in the local 
economy's health as well. Um, as a local rancher on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation, I do absolutely as much of my business on the reservation as possible. Um, and if I, if I happen to do business elsewhere, it's going to be in like one of the neighboring towns over that still contributes to our economy. And that's only usually in, you know, the dire situations where I absolutely need to get some lick tubs and the local grocery, the local co-op store here on the reservation is sold out. But I really believe in spending my money locally and supporting that local economy. And the more that people buy from me, uh, the more I'm going to be able to afford to to spend my money locally and to continue to grow my business. One of the biggest downfalls for me in trying to spend my money locally is that we actually don't have a butcher on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation. Uh, this is something that I do hope to, you know, in my growth of the business, fix. Uh, it's a sincere problem because we raise over 70,000 head of high-quality cattle on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation in a given year. Um, and none of these animals are processed on the reservation. So we have all of the nutrients of the plants and the forbs and all of the grasslands that our cattle grow on on the reservation being consumed by animals that then leave the reservation for processing. So right there, we're kind of just leaking out um, an economic source there for for revenue and for local employment and for enhancing local meat sources. Heading into 2020, my plan for the business was to establish some retail space in some local Whole Foods stores um, and to really try to grow and market my brand as a high quality, holistically raised uh, regenerative beef. And Quite honestly, what happened during COVID-19 was it allowed me to sell out um, on the reservation and so that I didn't need to look for an additional retail source. And I genuinely hope that I'm able to maintain all of these local customers and continue to encourage more ranchers and farmers locally to directly provide beef to local customers. Um, I, I'm not truly sold on the idea of marketing my beef in a high-end retail location. What I'm sold in on is the idea of the local communities around me never having to go hungry because we've been able to fix the lacking food supply uh, and we've been able to ensure that they have access to high-quality locally raised beef. Um, so as as far as our plans for the future, we hope to continue to serve our loyal customers here on Cheyenne River. Um, we hope to continue to promote more direct-to-consumer beef purchasing opportunities for our consumers, and we really hope to encourage more transparency in the meat industry and to educate consumers on how hard it is for a cattle rancher to make ends meet right now and how there's such a monopolization of the beef industry by large packing facilities and, and you know educating the ranchers on how to do their best to raise a healthy food source for their communities and how to how to connect with those community members and inform those community members of why it's so important to shop local and to buy local and how you're going to be able to taste a difference with every bite of that locally raised meat. I work as the natural resources director for the Intertribal Agriculture Council. 
in my professional capacity. And this job typically requires um, and expects a lot of travel of me throughout the country to promote and represent the needs of native farmers and ranchers across the country as they serve as land stewards for Indian country. And with COVID-19, my travel has diminished um, quite astronomically, and I've been working a lot more from home. This has allowed me to redirect a lot of that downtime in which I'd normally be traveling to kind of explore how I can utilize my experiences through my personal business to share outwardly a curriculum and different resource tools to farmers and ranchers that I work with in my professional capacity with the IAC and help get them multiple steps closer to being able to serve their local communities as a direct beef sales avenue. I've been incredibly fortunate to have the IAC's leadership support in doing this and and really pushing this initiative forward. And I have some phenomenal colleagues that I've been working with to really enhance and bolster our efforts in um, what I've been able to help work on with them. Additionally, Ubecha Watecha, a local cafe uh, in Eagle Butte, South Dakota, on the Cheyenne River Sioux Indian Reservation, has really picked up a lot of support for DX Beef as well. The cafe owner, Sherry Ducheneau, has coordinated uh, drop-off and pickup site locations for a lot of the customers in Eagle Butte. And this has really been a large relief on travel for me. Um, I'm able to take a large shipment to her and she's, you know, really the point of sale in which individuals come and pick up their orders that they've purchased off the farm and ranch or um, they, they go there directly to buy the beef from her. So it's been phenomenal having such great small town business support all around, as well as the national scope of nonprofits such as Intertribal Ag Council in the corner of promoting small businesses and specifically within Indian Ag and trying to secure healthier food systems for Indian country. I'd like to offer my praise to Andy Murphy with Toasted Sister Podcast for reaching out to all of the Native people working in the food industry and really trying to highlight and showcase that we are very resilient people. And even in light of COVID, we're finding ways to pull together and support our Native communities and even reach out to the non-Native communities and help them guide and feel their way through all of this chaos and confusion. And together, we're going to be able to get through this. Now let's take it back to the Southwest with Michelle. Andy, thank you for this opportunity for us to provide information to your listeners, to, to the listeners of your podcast. This is Michelle Crank from the Navajo Nation Gaming. I'm the Executive Director of Communications and Public Relations. The COVID-19 virus pandemic has affected our casinos in various different ways. Of course, first and foremost, on March 17th, we closed down all four of our properties, our Twin Arrows location near Flagstaff, Arizona, our Fire Rock location near Gallup, New Mexico, and our New Mexico Northern Edge location near Farmington, and then our Flowing Waters location in Hogback, New Mexico. 
All four of our properties did close down on March 17th. We put all of our team members and all of our restaurant staff, all 1,200 of our team members, and 80 to 82% of our team members are members of the Navajo Nation. We put them on paid administrative leave. That way our team members are not experiencing hardship during this closure. We continue to pay our team members during the closure, and we keep, continue to keep them gainfully employed <clears throat> while they experience the health benefits that is provided to them uh, throughout this closure. What happened to all of our restaurant food, the perishable items, was that we were able to donate these uh, perishable items to local food banks and our local chapters, local senior centers within the Navajo Nation. In addition to that, we also provided and stepped up immediately and started providing uh, truckloads of food to the Navajo Nation Emergency Response Centers, and they were able to disperse those food items to various locations within the Navajo Nation. And again, our restaurant staff continue to be paid uh, put on paid administrative leave. Uh, we, we did increase their salary a little bit because we know that a lot of our restaurant staff and our wait staff do work on based on tips. And so we were able to provide a little bit more than just their wage um, during this pandemic and during the closure. We directed a lot of our COVID response relief efforts, again, working with the Navajo Nation government uh, entities and the local Navajo Nation emergency response centers. Uh, we directed a lot of our support to the emergency response centers. Our future plans, of course, when we open up, uh, we, we have implemented and we will be implemented at all four of our properties, a lot of precautionary me measures in addition to the deep sanitization cleaning process of our four properties. It's an in-depth process, and we want to make sure that we protect our customers as well as our team members throughout all four properties. In addition to that, we're very excited to share with your listeners here on this podcast, Andy, about our new products and services that we will be offering at our new Navajo Blue Travel Center, which will be opening up shortly. We will be offering a variety of Navajo products. First and foremost, we're excited about the Navajo Fizz Craft Soda. The Craft Soda will actually be brewed at our Navajo Travel Plaza, which is located in Arizona, near Flagstaff, Arizona, right next to our Twin Arrows Casino Resort location. We will have four flavors, honey and lemon, green, green thread tea, uh, and this is made by our own, what we like to refer to as our Navajo tea. The Canyon de Chez peaches and cream. We will get peaches from our Navajo agriculture product industry on the Navajo Nation. And of course, our pinyon nut root beer. We all know about the pinyon nut, so we will be including that in our root beer flavor. Our sumac berry berries will be in our strawberry Navajo fizz. So you've got to come out and try all four of our uh, Navajo Fizz craft soda, which we will be brewing again at our Navajo Blue Travel Plaza. We will be offering Navajo Blue coffee, coffee in the flavors of our organic Guatemalan roast and our roasted pinon uh, nut, which is a, another excellent flavored coffee. We will also be offering our Navajo beef jerky and sausage. And again, the Navajo beef is actually grown by our own Navajo cattle owners within the Navajo Nation. 
It will be Navajo beef jerky and sausage. Our Navajo beef flavors will have the original, of course, peppered uh, beef jerky, and then we'll have a green chili flavor. We will have the the sausage as well available, and the sausage will be, of course, Monterey, Dra- Monterey Jack and our feta spinach and uh, sun-dried tomatoes, green chili sausage, jalapeno cranberry sausage. All of these will be offered at our Navajo Blue Travel Plaza. The blue corn tamales will also be another item that we will be offering at our Travel Plaza, in addition to our Twin Arrows uh, fudge, which we will be offering there as well. So we invite you to come out and join us when we do open up our our uh, new Navajo Blue Travel Plaza and experience each of these Navajo uh, products and services that we will be offering. Again, here, Andy, for giving us the opportunity to to provide this information to your listeners. Again, my name is Michelle Crank. I'm the Executive Director of Communications and Public Relations for the Navajo Gaming Industry. Thank you. I'd like to say thank you so much to Nicola Bear, Crystal Wapipa, Spring Alaska, Inez Cook, Zach Johnston, Kelsey Ducheneau, and Michelle Crank for answering my questions, recording yourselves, and then sending me the audio. If you want to know more about these folks, links are in the show notes and on the website, ToastedSisterPodcast.com. And before I wrap up the outro music here, I'd like to tell you about a new Hulu show called Taste of the Nation with Padma Lakshmi as the host. There's a native episode, and yours truly will be on it, along with some other folks you might recognize from this podcast. The show drops on Friday, June 19th, and I'm so excited to see it. I hope you can catch it, too. All right, so be safe out there, and thank you so much for listening to the Toasted Sister Podcast. Mm -hmm.